0: Welcome to GMFC Studios, God's production company. Well, that this morning you've been able to take time out to share time with us. I'm excited about what God is doing in and through our ministry. I'm excited that. God has allowed us to have the opportunity to impart words of life into you. I encourage you as the people of God to take to heart the things that you've heard and the things that you will hear today. For those that are members of Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center, Tuesday we're gonna have a study about Christmas. And some of what I say today It's kind of foundational. So I'm asking that as you take notes today, you pay attention to what's being said because it's the foundation upon which you will build for the decisions that you make moving forward. God has given all of us free will to do that which we please. It's his desire that we always follow his will and do those things that bring his name glory. However, if we're going to be honest, we know we don't always do that. We typically do what we want to do, even when sometimes the things that we want to do are not the best things for us, the right things for us, or uh, for longevity's sake, the best things for our tomorrow. But today, I want you to pay specific attention to the descriptions that I'll give in reference to how the tabernacle of God was not only established, how it was built, but how that same tabernacle, if we are the church and now the tabernacle of God, then how that tabernacle is built in us. The title of today's sermon is The Hidden Christ or Christ Hidden Within You, and It's important that we understand what this means because when you get an understanding of just the title alone, it'll open your heart and your mind to see where in the tabernacle or the building of the tabernacle you are located. And where you are located is essential in your ability to touch the things of God. Amen. So the question I would uh, ask for you to ask yourself later on is which item in which part is my portion? And you'll understand that question as we move through this. Now, the tabernacle and the temple, as we have learned from scripture, were of three parts. The outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And within the outer court, the tabernacle was divided into two parts, the holy place and the holy of holies. And before we can relate to the items that are in the holy of holies, we must first take a look at those items that are in existence in the outer court and in the holy place. So let's talk briefly about the outer court. In the outer court, there were two things, the altar and the laver. Now, uh, the majority of theologians agree that the altar is symbolic of the cross of Christ and that the laver is symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit. The question then to ask ourselves is Have I experienced the altar and the laver? Now, on the cross, Christ was offered as our sin offering, Salvation 101. He died for our sins and he was even made sin on the cross for our sake. So he is our Passover lamb. And the meaning of the Passover is that he, the very lamb of God, bore our sins and took those sins to his death on the cross. If you turn in your word to the first book of Corinthians, starting at the fifth, ver- or the fifth chapter and the seventh verse, you will find that it says this. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now this scripture clearly states that Christ is our Passover. The day that we believed in his death for our sins was the day of our Passover. It was on that day that we enjoyed Christ as our Passover lamb. And after we've experienced the altar of the cross, immediately the Holy Spirit began to do its work in us. And this is signified by the labor. So the labor is a place for people to be washed and to be cleansed. So after receiving Christ as our Passover, the Holy Spirit starts his cleansing process and work within and without us. Now, when the people of Israel entered the tabernacle, they had to pass the altar with their sin and their trespass. And what they would do at the altar is bring their offering. And this was typically in the form of an animal that would be sacrificed for their sin. It was their sin or trespass offering. But they didn't just bring a sacrifice. They also had to wash their feet and their hands in the laver to cleanse away all the earthly dirt. So the Holy Spirit cleanses us from all the earthly dirt of our daily walk since the time that we were saved. And if we have had these experiences, it means that we have been saved and are no longer outside the outer court. And this is important for the believer because Only the people of God entered the house of God. And those that were not of the people of God, they stayed outside of the tabernacle. So as I described to you before, there are three parts. The outer court is just the first part of the three. Now, once we are inside the outer court, We are within the boundary of the realm of God. So in other words, we are in the kingdom of God because we have been regenerated, redeemed, forgiven, and now cleansed by the working of the Holy Spirit alive within us. And unless we have experienced both the altar and the labor, we can never be a real child of God. Until you experience both the altar and the labor, the altar is the Passover, the death of Christ, the propitiation for your sin, and the labor, which is the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit, you will never enjoy what it is to be a real child of God. Even though we may have outwardly entered Christianity, Without the experience of these two things, we are still outside the kingdom of God. Do not fool yourself into thinking that you can believe and still live a life of sin. So this is the outer court. This is the purpose of the outer court. It is the entry place into the kingdom of God. God has shown me that too many of his people, are happy with just being in the outer court. But people of God, you've got to understand that God does not want you to stay in the outer court. The outer court is simply a place that we pass through to get to him. Now, after the outer court, it's the holy place. So it's important that we understand This is uh, really just the ABCs of the Christian life. It it behooves us rather to press in further, not to stay uh, satisfied with being just in the kingdom, but to press further to get deeper into the things of God. Now we've entered the main gate of the tabernacle, but there's still another veil or another gate which we must uh, enter in through. So from the outer court, from the place to which we came by believing in the Lord, we need to enter into the holy place. Now, the first item in the holy place is the table of the bread of the presence, a table on which the bread was shown. Uh, It's also been called the table of showbread. Now, the bread is symbolic of Christ as our food. Because he is the bread of life. John 6 and 35 will say, uh, you know, in the Word of God, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Christ is the supply of our life he is our daily manner nourishing us so that we may live before god we cannot live this christian journey without being fed the things of god so the table of the bread of the presence did not merely contain one piece of bread but it was a table which held a large amount of bread And this means that we may experience an abundant supply of life just like the manna that fell from heaven. Every morning there was an abundant supply of manna. As a matter of fact, if you uh, look at the history of the exodus of Israel from Egypt, you will find that as they were in the wilderness, God uh, fed them manna from heaven. And the command to them was only take that which you need for the day. You did not need to gather extra to store up. This was about trusting God's provision. And if they tried to take more than what was needed, it would go to waste. It would turn to uh, dust before them. Now, since we experienced Christ as our Passover and we've been touched and enjoyed the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit within us, the question then is, have we gone on to experience Christ as our daily manna? If we have, then we know that the table, the bread of the presence, uh, we, we know this in a living way. We, we've sensed it, we've tasted it, we've touched it, we've felt it, we've smelt it. Now, that's not the only thing that's in the holy place. The lampstand follows the table of the bread of the presence as the second item in this area. And this uh, means that Christ is the light as well as the life. John 1 and 4 says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John 8 and 12 also states, then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So if we can enjoy and experience Christ as life, then he will definitely become our light. When we feed on Christ, we can sense the shining of his glory within us, enlightening us, elevating us. And after we have received Christ as our Passover and have been cleansed by the working of the Holy Spirit, and after we have uh, know, we've learned how to feed upon Christ as our daily manna, then we can sense the inner shining or the glory of Christ within us. Now the third item, the altar of incense, follows the table of the bread of the presence and the lampstand. Now, this is experienced when we sense a savor, a sweet-smelling odor. And this sweet odor, which is Christ in resurrection, spreads and ascends towards God. So when we enjoy Christ as our food and are in the light of his life, we are then in the power of resurrection. Within us, there is something sweet spreading and ascending toward God. Now, this can never be confirmed by knowledge or by doctrine. It has to be realized through our experience. The question that I ask you is, do you have such experience in your life? Or are you still satisfied passing through the first veil, dwelling in the outer court, happy that you just made it into the kingdom? Now, although we may not have enough of these experiences, the main issue at this time is that we have had such an experience. I can testify that it's a wonderful experience. 40 years ago, I was daily and even hourly in this holy place. Christ was my daily man and I was full of him and full of light. I was very pleased with God and he was very pleased with me and something of Christ within me was spreading and ascending to God as a sweet savor. For 40 years I've enjoyed this. But this is not the only place to be because there's another place that we ought to press through. This is not the end of our journey just getting from the outer court into the holy place because the ark is in the holy of holies. So the holy place is not the end of the journey. It is something holy, but it is not the holiest. It's good, but it is not the best. So we need to press on again in order to enter into the holy of holies. Now the first veil has to be passed through but the second veil has to be rent or torn and this veil is the flesh. Hebrews 10 and 20 says this, By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh which must be broken before we can enter into the holy of holies. People of God, you've got to understand something. You cannot enter into the holy of holies in the power of your flesh. There was only one thing that existed in the holy of holies and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Now the majority of theologians will agree that the ark is symbolic of Christ as well. And although Christ may be enjoyed as our food, that manner, that daily presence and feeding of God, uh, he can be experienced as our light and our life, as our sweet savor that ascends towards God, yet Christ himself is in the Holy of Holies. Now, Christ as food, as light, and as a sweet savor are three items that exist in the holy place, but now Christ himself has to be touched. It's good that we can touch some of the characteristics of who Christ is and what he is for us, but it is much better to touch Christ himself. You can't touch Christ in the holy place you can only touch some of the things of him which is good but it's not the best experience you can have with him I'll give you an example in today's technology you can FaceTime if you're smart and you own an iPhone you can FaceTime all those other phones got apps that they they bit off of iPhone iPhone's the best But you can FaceTime. And that's good. It's good to be able to flip your phone and the camera and the audio is transferred and you can see who you're talking to. My wife and I do this. And it's wonderful. We share good conversations. Sometimes she fusses at me and then I have to put her on pause. And when you put them on pause, the screen freezes. But it's so much better to converse with her At home, where we're both in the same place at the same time and can touch one another. How much better is it for you to be able to reach out and touch God? We must not merely touch Christ as an item, but we need to experience Christ as Himself. This is a much deeper and uh, 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 more longing relationship with Him. We must make contact with Christ Himself. We've experienced Christ as our Passover and the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Then we've experienced Christ as life, as light, and as the sweet savor that ascends to God. Now we have to contact Christ Himself. And very few Christians have ever entered into the Holy of Holies in order that they might touch the Ark, which is Christ Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, Raiders of the Lost Ark would have you believe that you will die if you touch the Ark of the Covenant. But that is exactly what needs to happen. You need to die. Your flesh needs to die. Your flesh cannot enter into the place where Christ is. Your flesh cannot come into the Holy of Holies. Your flesh, that veil, has to be rent. It has to be torn. It has to be broken. Now let's take a look for a moment at the contents of the ark. It's quite meaningful to us to see that the manna was in the ark. It is not the open manna, but the hidden manner; Not the manna that was displayed, but the manna in a secret place. The hidden manna no doubt corresponds with the bread of the presence. And the difference, however, is this. The bread was shown forth, but the manna in the ark was hidden. The bread was exhibited on the table, but the manna in the ark was hidden in the golden pot. Not only was the manna hidden in the golden pot, but this pot was hidden within the ark. It was doubly hidden. In the wilderness, the people of Israel enjoyed the manna. But the manna that they enjoyed was a public manna. It was a manna fallen to the earth, not the manna that's hidden in the heavens. The hidden manna is Christ himself. It's good to be nourished with the things that fall from heaven. But it is so much better to be nourished with the things that are hidden and only shared between Christ and yourself. We need to experience this deeper Christ, a Christ that's in the secret place, a Christ that lives and dwells in the heavenlies. This is the Christ that's mentioned in Hebrews. This is the Christ that's referred to that comes after the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Aaron. Now, Aaron was in the outer court. Offering sacrifices upon the altar. But Melchizedek is on the throne of grace. Seated in the heavenlies. We may experience Christ as our food. But this enjoyment is only in the holy place. And whatever we experience is immediately known by all people. Sometimes the news of our glorious experience will spread across the entirety of the nation. And this is nothing but the experience of the open bread of the presence. We need to press deeper into the secret place of the Almighty in order to touch the heavenly Christ himself. Also in the ark was the law, the regulating and the enlightening law. The law corresponds with the lampstand that exists in the holy place. The law is the testimony of God. And the lampstand in both the Old Testament and the New Testament also is the testimony of God. And although the law corresponds with the lampstand, the principle is still the same. The lampstand shines forth openly, but this law is a hidden inner and deeper light that shines within us. The Lord declared that he would write his word upon our heart. Many times our brothers and sisters have only the light of the lampstand. Oh, how their light shines in one sense that is good, but in another sense they are still shallow. Everything is showing forth on the surface. They need Christ to become their inner law those who have christ as their inner law hidden within them do not show forth much outwardly but inwardly they know christ in a much deeper and special way the third thing that was in the ark is the budding rod the rod with sprouted buds typifies the resurrected christ this corresponds with the savor of the incense both of which signify the power of resurrection and the resurrected Christ. But again, the difference is that the incense is openly expressed, whereas the budding rod is experienced in a hidden and deeper way. Three things have been seen in the holy place. Christ is food, Christ is life, and Christ as a sweet savor. But the three things in the ark of the Holy of Holies is much deeper. The bread of the presence is something showing forth. The lampstand is something shining forth. And the incense is something spreading forth. All are outwardly exhibited. But the three things in the ark are much deeper and inwardly hidden. So we have to press deeper into Christ. We should be now clear that the holy place represents the wilderness on one hand and the soul on the other. In uh, ancient times, the Israelites were originally in Egypt. And since it was in Egypt that they experienced the Passover, Egypt for them was their outer court. After the Passover, they were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness. In other words, they proceeded from the outer court into the holy place. Now, while the holy place corresponds to the wilderness for the Israelites, it also corresponds to the human soul for the Corinthian and the Hebrew believers for which Paul was writing. For example, the believers in Corinth had experienced Christ as their Passover, clearly as detailed in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. And then they experienced him as they passed into the wilderness in their experience, where they were enjoying Christ as the manna from heaven. As their living water, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5 declares, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But we With many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You see, they too were in the wilderness like the Israelites of old, but the wilderness for the Corinthian was the wilderness of their soul. By reading 1 Corinthians carefully, we can see that they were soulish and fleshly, just like the church of today in many aspects yes they enjoyed Christ as their food and as their light and they have many wonderful experience with Jesus but their enjoyment of Christ was not in their soul their flesh the veil that separates the holy of holies from the holy place hadn't been broken their soul had not been dealt with so they were not in the spirit which is the holy of holies they enjoyed something of Christ but they did not enjoy Christ himself. Now, the Hebrew Christians also were typified by the Israelites in the wilderness. Hebrews 3, 6 through 8 declares, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul pointed out to the Hebrew Christians as well as to the Corinthians that the people of Israel were the illustration of their own condition. As a matter of fact, the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews indicates that to enter into the rest is to enter into the Holy of Holies and touch the very throne of God where Christ, our high priest, is today. The Hebrew Christians enjoyed something of Christ by the teachings. First Corinthians deals with the matter of gifts, whereas the Hebrews deal—the book of Hebrews deals with the matter of doctrines. The Corinthian believer were, uh, you know, in the soul enjoying the gifts, and the Hebrew Christians were also in the soul, but they were enjoying doctrines. They were therefore uh, not in a place where they could understand the deeper things of God. And since both the Corinthians and the Hebrews were addicted either to their gifts or to their elementary doctrines, they had to tolerate the wilderness in their soul. This is why the Apostle Paul entreated the uh, Corinthian believers to know the Spirit and be spiritual men instead of soulish men. If you don't believe me, open your own Bible to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and read for yourself the 11th through the 15th verse. Look in the book of Hebrews, in the fourth chapter and the 12th verse, where he says the exact same thing that they must divide or discern the Spirit from the soul the principle in these two books is the same only these two books in the New Testament refer to the history of Israel in the wilderness. The reason for this is that the Corinthians were soulish in their gifts and the Hebrews were soulless in their doctrines and many Christians today are soulish in their gifts and many others are soulless in their doctrines and without a doubt the doctrines helped the Hebrew Christians and the gifts helped the Corinthian Christians but they were all in the soul and the The soul is just the holy place it's not the spirit it's not the holy of holies you can't get to the holy of holy through your gift you can't get to the holy of holy through your doctrine you can only experience and touch christ in the holy of holies and enjoy him when you step out of yourself if we're going to make contact with Him in our spirit, we have to forsake our soul. You've got to leave the wilderness. We should not remain in the soul. If we remain in the soul, we are simply wandering in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, you ought to put that in on Facebook. Put that in the con the uh, uh, the uh, note section. As long as I stay in the soul, I'm just wandering in the wilderness. You may be thinking to yourself, why is this even important? Whether I'm in the outer court or the holy place or the holy of holies, I'm still enjoying something of Christ. Why do you say that doctrines are only elementary? By them, I know something about Christ and I get to enjoy something of Christ. I say that the gifts are stressed stress too much. But with the gifts, I still enjoy something of Christ. I want you to imagine the picture of the wilderness. For more than 38 years, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and day by day through all that time, they partook of the manna of God because God is Merciful. He is not a small God, but he's an exceedingly generous God. And even when the people of God were wrong, he still granted them something. But the man of falling from the heavens daily did not justify the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness. On the contrary, it proved how babyish and fleshly they were by enjoying nothing more than manna for 38 plus years. You see, manna was all right for a short period of time, But they should have soon left the manna that they might enjoy the produce that was promised to them in Canaan. Don't you understand that the word of the Lord came to Israel and said that you cannot take this manna over into the promised land. You've got to understand manna is about sustaining, being sustained. But over in the promise, you have the abundance of God. You see, they did not leave Egypt so that they can be sustained in the wilderness. They left Egypt so that they can enjoy the harvest that's only found in the land of promise. So the lesson for us is very simple. To have the gifts for a short time is permissible, but to insist on having the gifts all the time only proves that you're a baby. We must go on and press on. We've got to move from this point in this place. The gifts are not our portion. Christ is our portion. Christ is what God has given unto us. Before the apostle dealt with the gifts in 1 Corinthians, he pointed out that Christ himself is our portion. We are not called into the fellowship of gifts. We're not called into the fellowship of doctrine. We are called into the fellowship of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. God did not make the gifts our wisdom, but he made Christ our wisdom. It is through Christ that we are justified. It is through Christ that we are sanctified. It is through Christ that we are redeemed. Your gift, your doctrine will not justify you. It will not sanctify you sanctify you. It will not redeem you. You can only be sanctified, justified, and redeemed in Jesus. We have to thank God for his gifts, but the gifts are only a help intended for a short time. Israel surely could have thanked God for their daily manna, but the manna was only a temporary provision until they arrived into the good land, a land that was only a few days journey away. They should not have remained in the wilderness with the manna every day for over 38 years. Praise God for his wisdom and his mercy. Thank God for his gifts. When we are wandering in the wilderness, we do need the daily manna and the gifts to help us. But this does not justify your continuing in such a course over an extended period of time. On the contrary, it proves that you're just young and maybe a baby in the faith. But if we would press on, there would be no further need for us to enjoy the manna. We could begin immediately to enjoy the produce of the good land of Canaan, the promise of God. When we enjoy the produce of the good land, it proves that we are in our rest. That means that we are in our spirit, in the spirit of God. Otherwise, we are just like Israel, remaining in the wilderness of our soul. If we are not in the spirit, the cross must deal with our flesh and our soul. Hebrews 4, 5, and 6 exhort us to press on. 1 Corinthians 9 exhorts us to run the race. We must press on to enter the uh, spirit in order to touch Jesus himself and experience a deeper Christ. Experience the hidden manner. Experience the inner law. Experience the secret budding rod. The power of resurrection. The apostle Paul advised the Corinthian believers to adjust and limit themselves in relation to the gifts. You see, they needed to learn how to use the gifts in the proper way. If we read 1 Corinthians very carefully with an objective eye, we will see that the intention is not to encourage but to adjust the believers in the practice of their gifts. In order to run the race in a proper way, we must know the deeper things of Christ in our spirit. Now we all have to check where we are. And this is what I encourage you to begin to do. This is what I encourage and upon the foundation upon which Tuesday's Bible study, as we talk about Christmas will come from, check where you are. Are you at the altar bringing your sacrifice for your sin? Or are you at the labor, where the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit is being done? Perhaps you're even outside the main gate. Have we experienced these two items in the outer court and gone on to the bread and the light and the sweet savor in the holy place? Or have we passed through the holy place and are now standing in the holy of holies? This is the question you have to ask yourself. This is upon which we must build. This is how we justify everything that we do and come to an understanding of why we do the things we do. It's based upon where we are in the tabernacle. My prayer to you today is that the Lord be merciful to us, that we may know where we are. It's not the promise of God to simply sustain you. God desires to have a relationship with you where he can touch you. He can embrace you. You can embrace him You can enjoy what it is to be in right standing with Him. Stop settling for just the things that are good, or even worse, the things that are just enough, when God wants to give you the best of who He is. Think about these things this week. may the power of God's word minister greatly in your life and his grace overshadow you. That you would be inspired as you are revealed by God where you are. That if you are not in the Holy of Holies, you might be ushered in by his grace. You might be so spurred by the spirit that you tear through that last veil, which is your flesh the very thing that separates you from all that is God that you might enjoy the beautiful bounty of the harvest of God in the land of promise God bless you today heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace may the Lord keep you know that I'm praying for you I salute you And I thank God for each and every one of you. Have a blessed Sunday.